where baffling books are reviewed but not read by yours truly. My name is Kaki. And I'm Kay. And remember, we only judge a book by its cover. And we find ourselves once more amid the towering stacks of our library where I've uh, I've drawn a little curtain here. Mm-hmm. So I've 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 curtained off uh, a little area. So I'm 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 very shortly going to uh, nip behind here and uh, just to catch everybody up on the unnecessary lore that we've been spinning. Yeah. Uh, I've recently been promoted to junior librarian. And already you're starting to curtain off parts of the library and claiming it as your own. <laughs> no, it all will become clear in just a second. Oh, no, right. it's not. It's not possessiveness. I'm okay, not only okay, a junior. Okay. Librarian. Okay. 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 Um, but in order to get into the into the role, I had a I had a strong desire that we talked about last time mm-hmm. uh, for for dressing the part yes. and getting myself some tweed. Now, since I'm living in the library, I'm I'm limited in my resources, so I've I've made a few attempts, and I thought what we do um, is I'll nip behind the curtain and uh, uh, get changed, and I'll pop out in sort of a, like an eighties uh, fashion show esque fashion show. Yeah, exactly. Just to just to get some of your feedback on where we think I'm, I'm okay. Heading. Yeah, um, and. This this is because, I mean, the previous time that I that I did this, weeks and weeks and weeks passed uh, as I tried different variations of my Velibraptor impersonation costume. Yes. And I think we can do it a little bit quicker. So I'm just okay. going to nip behind the curtain, make By yourself comfortable. Yeah, we'll do. Okay. Now, this this first number, we talked about hemp. Yeah. I didn't really have a loom. So, no. I mean, we, uh, like you crush the you crush the stems and then the fibers yeah, come out. So, so it's, sort of, it's more going to be like leaves in the Garden of Eden than it is going to be actual fibers and garments. Or? You are you are surprisingly <laughs> Close. So here, here, here I am. Yeah, it's it's sort of a. I mean, it's almost a banana leaf it's, kind of number. It is. It is. It's like what do we what do we think? Okay, well, the grass twirl. skirt mafia from last episode would have definitely have something to say about this. <laughs> well, uh, I, I didn't cut the fronds down. It shows off your glutes very nicely. Thank you. I thought so. <laughs> it's, it's quite fetching, I must say. Well, I'm okay. not quite sure if it's appropriate for a li- library thing. That was my worry. And there's uh, going to be an unneedly amount of rustling, especially oh, if the leaves dry out a little that. bit more than that. Oh, and that's definitely going to happen. Well, yeah, it? it's going to be mm. more drying, which is also going to cause shrinkage, which is going to cause exposure, and then oh. it's like, well, no, you're right, you're right, no, you're right. That's that's entirely. <laughs> I do approve I of the look, though, but maybe <laughs> when we have the yearly luau <gasps> every year. Oh, of course. I've only been here twenty-six, twenty-seven months, almost half a year. Yeah, yeah it's a summertime thing. Year, then okay, so that should be coming up. It is. Oh, that's fun. Well, she'll be making week. preparations. We'll have to get one of the hogs roasted and all that. <gasps> There's hogs. Oh, there will be for the occasion. Well, okay, cool. Excellent. Uh, 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 okay. So this is a, this costume is a no, but definitely mm-hmm. a keeper for later on. That's good. Oh, no, I'll, yes. I'll just pop behind the curtain again and let me just get changed here. Okay. Now this was just to prepare you. Yes. Uh, do you remember the first time that I showed you the, uh, the Velibraptor costume? It was, yes. it was quite frightening. So mm-hmm. do prepare yourself. Um, cause this time I, I used feathers and, and eider down as much as okay. I was, uh, I was able to. Uh, and here we go. So I don't know. Is it? Is it too gaudy? I'm getting a lot of you know, Montezuma's revenge. Isn't that a euphemism for the for the trots? It is also, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm like, okay, like there's a there's a very very famous mantle made out of feathers, uh, reportedly oh. worn by Montezuma. The famous uh, Aztec, Aztec, no? I think. Yes, Ooh. I think it was Aztec. Beautiful red feather mantle. Oh, that sounds excellent. And, so, yeah, so I'm getting a lot of that vibe. 
a bit of a a bit of a badge of office then. Yes, although this is more like you know the feathers are a bit more colourful than that. That was more sure monochromatic. Like carrots or yes, you know, but you know they might still have, still have gone for one colour just to uh, you know we have to pluck a thousand birds to get this mantle made, and they, oh, like them right. being the Aztecs, we couldn't care less about that sort of thing. And that had never occurred to me. Like uh, I know that in European and African history, the the the, the rarer pigments mm-hmm. were associated with wealth. Uh, a purple, well, of course, yes. for example, among the Romans yeah. and. Made and snails, actually. Sea snails. They're like sea urchin-like snails, which created the purple dye. I was going to say that uh, it hadn't occurred to me before that you had animal rarity as a, as a restriction for the kind of colors that you could wear, but if they were making this pigment out of I sea I mean, snails. there's like a, uh, I think it's a kakapau or whatever they called, those super rare uh, walking parrot birds, the one that uh, Stephen Fry goes on his uh, last chance to see thing. Oh, the blue-footed booby in New Zealand. No, 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 the kakapau. Blue-footed boobies aren't that super, aren't super rare. Oh, wait, I it's, know It's, it's the parrot that ends up shacking the photographer's that's head. That's right, that's right. And there's like, in one of the museums, he goes, they have a, got a mantle made out of the feathers of those uh, kakapaos. Oh, and it's no. just like, well, it's like it was made in when they, when before, they, they before they were criti- yeah. critically endangered. And it's, uh, but right now that's like a super like rare and priceless item really, because there's no way that could be made because it would require the entire population of the bird. Oh my that's, goodness. So yes, it's, it, it's very good. Again, it's not really in theme with library. It, it, it doesn't really match okay. the tweed and elbow patches no, that look is that you were going, going to go. For. No, I see. And it's, so what I was thinking with this particular number was, I mean, not a lot of libraries have their own ecosystem. True. Uh, and certainly not one that is as colorful as this one, but I mean, maybe if there's a, I mean, if this is a, a mantle of, uh, office, office then, yes. then we'll just keep it aside for or uh, maybe if I ever make it to, you know, librarian or, or mm-hmm. develop any more seniority, maybe yes. we can use this for, for ceremonial purposes. Okay. Well, but reduce, again... Reuse, recycle. I'm oh, all about... Yes. Yeah. I mean, those Velibra raptors wouldn't have let those feathers for nothing if... See, that's what I like to think as well. Yes. I mean, I gathered them mostly from the, the reflecting pool where we reflect on the horrible bloodbath when the Velibra raptors discovered the ducks there. So there was a lot of duck feathers, but they were all covered in blood and there was a lot of mm, Velibra raptor yeah. feathers that... Yeah, uh, they do get a little bit possessive when it comes to food. There's a lot yes, of nipping that, and biting and infighting. It's not the best side of them, honestly. Like, yeah. Things with the Velibraptors are still a bit uh, iffy. Yeah. Is Guinevere still visiting? It's got to be tough for her. I see less and less of her because they're okay. uh, like... I don't know what they're doing, but it seems to be important. Maybe it might be mating season. I I, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I've never really kept track of when that happens. Well, you did once mention that you wanted to restart the Vlibraptor breeding program, which I was very much against because my yes. buddy Guinevere is, is no one's floozy. Um, <laughs> okay. We we try to avoid each other because they, they, they do still make these raids against the section of uh, novels based on films based on novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, with particular attention to the uh, the novelization of Jurassic Park, the film with the book. Yeah, so I can imagine that still being a bit of a sore point. It, it, it is. So I've actually moved that up to the, uh, do you remember the network of ladders mm-hmm. that I built over the yes. uh, over the shelf? So I've moved that entire section up there. I hope that's okay. I thought it would be oh, fine, fine in my capacity. As, as long as it's like, as, as long as the shelves are clearly labeled. Yes, I've updated the Dewey Imperial system to... Mm. Uh, yeah, well, just make sure that like you don't put any shelves out of order or anything, so... No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm, very, I'm very studious about no, that. No, no, no. Okay. So one more costume, and then we'll uh, uh, we'll get okay. started on, on on this week's Violence, podcast. Bring it uh, on. Yep, I'm going to pop behind the curtain here. And okay, so you mentioned like tweed and uh, uh, and elbow patches and silkworms. I tried getting the bookworm cocoons. Mm-hmm. Turns out water soluble. Oh, yeah, really mm. disappointing. Well, that should really help in taking care of them. But that's like books and water is not a good combination. No, so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Huh. So I, I gathered well, they, a lot of yeah. those uh, cocoons and I put them in boiling water, as you suggested, yeah. and they just and they just dissolved. Ooh. And then I tried cool water as well. That was sort of like a 
like a raccoon who's, who yeah. gets a piece of uh, candy, uh, candy floss and takes oh. a little water to wash it. Oh. And, and it feels <laughs> around in his water bottle. Like, where'd it go? Where'd it go? It's gone. But where's the candy floss gone? Why is the candy <laughs> floss always gone? But, but... Uh, turns out that depending on their age, the leather skin of these uh, of these horrible creatures has has different uh, hues. So I did some tanning. Yes. So here we go. Uh, and this jacket it has the effect of like being calf skin, but yes. I do have the darker elbow patches. Oh yes, I think this is much more refined. This is much more in theme with. Oh, the, I'm uh, so happy to hear no, that. No, it's yeah, it's 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 much more distinguished. It's a little bit of shame that the, the patchwork of small. I mean, it does make it look a little bit more, um, you know, thrown together, post-apocalyptic, uh, sewn together yeah. out of random patches. If you trim up and tidy up the seams a little bit more, then it should be it should work fine. Oh, mm-hmm. that's an excellent idea. That'll make it still patchy, but it won't look like re chasing the firefly you know <laughs> yeah that was some uh, some intimidating science fiction <laughs> well, stuff yes speaking of science fiction that's where we're going this week again. it is very good bridge thank you so what do we yeah thank you <laughs> thank you i'm still applying for the uh, podcast segue award of 2018 uh, um so first what prize we, is a segue actually oh that would really help me get around it wouldn't help me to get up to the section of uh, it's not very good on ladders no, it's not, but yes we were talking about space because uh, space yes. is the theme for this week's book so what do we have in store for our readers this week this week's book is by Paul French. It's called Lucky Star and the Pirates of the Asteroids. Ooh. For the readers at home, if you look down at your podcasting device, you should should be seeing uh, uh, the cover of today's book and otherwise look in the show notes for an image and a note. Yeah, I always I, I keep forgetting those. Oh, so I've got to right. do that straight away. For a while, you were doing it uh, very diligently and then it kind of like... And then it slipped into mid-episode and I think I missed uh, a few. I'm so <laughs> yeah. worried in case our readers don't know that they can look down at their podcasting yes. device. So what did they, what did they see? Assuming that you're seeing the same cover as we, well, of course you would be because it's on, on your podcast device and it's attached to the podcast. So even if the book you might have read had a different cover, you will still be seeing the cover of the book that we are reviewing. That's a very good caveat. Should we do that caveat every episode now? Let's not. Okay. <laughs> it seems a little bit unnecessary in <laughs> retrospect. So yes, we see, uh, the, uh, well, it's, I think it's a scene from the book. Obviously there's only one outside spacesuit wrestling scene in the entire book. So it kind of has to be that. Uh, what we're seeing is a, is a blue background with, yes. uh, two, two astronauts in sort of diving suit kind of, uh, well, spacesuits, uh, I assume. Spacesuits, yep. yeah, with their, uh, with their tethers free floating and a star field behind them. Yep. And a planetary object. And which... some rocket ships. Not exactly flying formation. No. And the planet doesn't seem to be Earth. It's hard to tell with the resolution available to us. It's, it, it's certainly not Earth as we, as we learn in the book. It's, it's Argentina Catorce. It's the, well, 14th system in, in space Argentina's colonial expansion. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is where most of the book has taken place. So yes, Argentina Cartoze, which is the scene for this specific game of space ball with solar systems as their playing fields, hotshot rocket jockeys knock off big old rocks around gravity wells and planetary orbits, risking life and limb and continental devastation in the hopes of slingshotting to intergalactic fame. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. That, now, that's how you write. That's how you write a bloody tagline. It like, is. That is. It oh, paints the picture. It like it throws yeah. you right into the action, which is actually where the book starts. Yeah, and we're uh, we're focusing on... I mean, there's, there's, there's two teams here, but we're already, like, picking sides because one the ship, the Jolly Reggie, we have the Pirates. That's the name of the team. We have the titular uh, Pirates under the leadership of Captain Jack Tit, the, yeah. the, the bird named... What? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's a, it's a little tit. A, yeah, no, I get it. Tit Willow, a little, Jack, a little sparrow. Yeah, yeah a, no, absolutely. Yeah. Captain Jack Tit uh, of the uh, famous uh, Blue Booby Tit. No, wait, uh, of the famous... <laughs> 
It's a, it's all related to the sparrow. If not it is. It, and, and no, but there's like okay. So an important thing about like a lot of the the sponsorship money goes towards uh, conservation efforts for the titular species of each of the teams. They spend a lot of their money on charity, and that's like one of the things that people get to support the teams. Of course, it's only a small percentage, and the team owner still gets the bulk of it. But it yeah, makes for good it's press. Mandatory. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Speaking of press, this oh, is where yeah. our, our our other titular character comes <laughs> in, which is Lucky Star, of course, the aforementioned young and upcoming reporter coming on board of the uh, Jolly Reggie. Yeah, she's being embedded with the uh, uh, with the team to get some some first hand knowledge of this of this honestly immensely unpopular but widely followed and yet also pretty mysterious and enigmatic sport. Mm. It starts off with a bang, of course, like it always does in space. A cluster of targets has been gathered up together, a massive uh, atomic bomb packed in the middle of it, and instead of a whistle uh, of, the, of the games getting started, it's a big nuclear explosion which sends the uh, rocks off on various targets and yeah, leaves just... the te- teams ready to start making their calculations, <laughs> trying to figure out what the new trajectories of the, uh, of the stone are and where the target zones are because that's the i mean that's that's what makes this game the slowest game in the uh, in the universe the, sm- the slowest fastball game there is yes yeah because you've got all of these i mean you've got a random set of asteroid chunks yep. uh that you have to keep track of as they careen through a solar system uh and you also have to score with them so you have to adjust their orbit we're talking about objects moving at kilometers per second and yes. yet the game lasts a year I mean, that's a that's a pretty quick game because obviously you have teams facing off against each other to see who can score the most within a within a solar system. But then that is part of a galactic competition which can take centuries, uh, oh, well, where everyone has to go into cryo sleep between uh, between games. Fly over, to the next fly over to the next system, and yeah, uh, yeah. and yet like people follow it. There's lot of, there's lots of armchair orbital technicians who are sitting there doing their own plotting. <laughs> yes, but actually, yes, if they do a slingshot around Alpha Magma Centauri, <laughs> then they could like cut off six months of their travel time and then score it through the beta 7N. <laughs> the amount of podcasts attributed to this is ridiculous. I'm glad to see that podcasting is still is still a thing this far into the future. Like that, It's a very cool form of entertainment. The, the the goal, of course, is to get as many of the detonated rocks that, that careen through the system to hover quietly in the G-spot. It's a <laughs> Like yeah, it's a no. You giggle, but it's a it's a it's a gravitationally inert spot in the solar system where gravitational pull of various heavenly bodies sort of cancel each other out, and it's extremely stable. Yes, sort of like Lagrange points. But well, that's exactly what a Lagrange point is. But you know, no, I, I, I love like that. A, I love that the author names it the G spot. It's a G it's spot like because this is where the, the gravitational spot. No, I get it. It's yeah, <laughs> you get it. See, it's not weird. <laughs> but so, like, the trick is, you want to gather as many of the chunks of identified asteroids. Yeah, they're all tagged. Well, they're all made of, of highly radioactive uranium mm. so that they're easy to tell apart. Yeah. Nothing else irradiates the solar system as much as this synthetic. So you want to gather as many of them as as, as possible and deliver them as quickly as possible to this G-spot and have them come to rest there. So you've got to do a lot with uh, momentum and inertia and, and, and cancelling stuff out, which is just a thrilling concept for the game. I was yeah. immediately captivated by the uh, by the mathematical complexity of this of this game mm. and the and the and the subtlety and the scale on which it's played. 
Yes. I mean, half the ship is a computer just for uh, doing the orbital calculations. And another quarter is like observation, telescopes, radar systems, mass detectors. In the case of the, the Pirates of the Jolly Reger, that would be Newton there. I've got to say, rather sadistic AI. It does have a tendency to mess with the crew a little bit. And yeah. And anything else that it comes across, like it's very, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty misanthropic toward its own crew, but extremely aggressive toward the, uh, the opposing team. And of course, in any game of Spaceball, there's really three participants. I mean, there's the two teams, and then there's the inhabitants of the The solar solar system system. in which it's played. I mean, this is one of the reasons that the game is met with mixed criticism. I mean, back when it was still played in the Earth solar system, Buenos Aires got taken out by a foul ball at one point. On the other hand, this is the same reason people watch Formula One, you know? It's like, they don't want cars to crash but they certainly not into the audience but it would be kind of cool if something happened you know it's like it's a little bit ghoulish i think so that is i mean that is the human nature it's it's not exactly a blood sport but there is a yes a hope to see something exactly like you don't want it to happen but it would be kind of cool if it did it's like when you're watching a rocket launch you know it's like it's like i hope it gets into orbit but wouldn't it be cool if it exploded i okay i never have that i always just marvel at the, oh, well, at the technology I do. and i do too but i mean i remember watching that, that, that falcon so 9 coming down the one that uh, was meant to land on land but ended up in the water it's like you're sitting there watching it come down it suddenly starts spinning and you go like that's not gonna that's not going the way it's supposed yeah. to go and it's just like what's going to happen and you <laughs> and suddenly it jumps the thrill even more i mean it's amazing to watch these rockets land anyway you know, and i then- do kind of get it i did once oh i borrowed an oven dish from a mutual friend of ours and i and i just used it to cook baked beans or something mm-hmm. I'd, I'd taken it out of the oven and i'd uh, uh, set it down it was immensely hot of course mm-hmm. i set it down on the uh, on the counter and i put the the, yeah. the oven mitts away then i i heard a squeak and i saw it sliding and like time slowed down yes and i sort of realized I cannot grab that thing. It is too hot and my tender flesh can't handle it. Uh-huh. It also belongs to somebody else, but it is, it is going down and, oh, I have absolutely no chance of holding it. Do you know what? Do you know what I did then? Mm-hmm. I took a step back and just enjoyed. I'm just going to watch this shatter and really enjoy it because then at least something good came out of it. Fair enough. Buy them a new dish. Buy them a new one, but I'm just going to really like, what's it like watching an oven dish full of baked beans just yes. crash down in this slow motion uh, state that I find myself in? Good use of adrenaline. Speaking of the, the two teams, the, uh, the team they're playing this time run is called the Peking Ducks. <laughs> there was a little sort of hockey theme. Well, yes. It's it, like, on, you know, on the side of the Peking Ducks. Yes. They were, I mean, they were very mighty. I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't called the Beijing Ducks. I guess back in the day, this book was written, Peking was still called Peking oh, and not Beijing. Yeah, yeah. This would have been when, when, when Mumbai was still Bombay. Yes, exactly. And, uh, I guess before Singapore was... Or Singapore wasn't called Serendipity. Serendipity? Oh, I don't know if it's Singapore. Oh, I forget which one it was now. I, I apologize to our side. Southeast Asian readers at home. Uh, but yes, one of the, the nations was, was named Serendip, and it was after a, a princess, Princess Serendip. She would just find things. She'd wander into the into the forest and she would just find things, not necessarily something she was looking for. Yeah. But that's where we got the, the, the word serendipity. It's because oh. this idea of just finding what you need, not what you sought. What you, okay, yeah. I, I mean, I know the word, but I didn't know that was where it came from. There's so many words that have like historical origins that we just don't remember. I, I remember a, a friend telling me he wrote a, it was an author friend of mine, Ryan Campbell. He's uh, finishing his trilogy. That's the uh, Feet of Clay? No, but, Gods of Clay. Feet of Clay is Terry Pratchett. And and Ryan told me about the, the, the difficulty of writing like prehistoric fiction so Mm. this is this is like stone age um because you can't use words like mesmerized like being mesmerized by something because that was named for mr mesmer 
Mm. Yeah, Mesmer, uh, uh, a German uh, hypnotist living in the uh, oh. uh, 18th or 19th century. Yeah, yeah. So all of these work, like he considered it very important, even though we would understand them, to like eliminate those and just stick to basic vocabulary. Through the I suppose you can use them in descriptive ways as long as the characters themselves don't use them. I, I think it's a degree of purism that's kind of hard to sustain because mm. every word we use was a neologism, a, a oh. newfangled word at some point. That's words made up. All words are made up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A fantastic observation by, by Thor Odinson in <laughs> Avengers Infinity War. Uh. I thought you weren't into... How do you quote Infinity War when you're not well, it's a... it's a good quote. Know? So I guess that's why... Um, I mean, that's probably why the uh, the Peking Ducks yes. have this have this old-fashioned name. Like, there's no mention made of it being a throwback name or, or sort of a reclamation. Well, then, I mean, all this, every system has its own team, and then they play their home match, and then they play their away match, and then they go through the entire league. And sometimes, well, like, you have, like, new ships, new crews, new captains, and it's still the same team because they've been playing this game for, like, the current league game has been going for 75 years, I believe, in the book. Yeah, it's a bit of a grandfather's broom kind of It is, uh, and it's... But it also makes for a lot of tradition. Yeah. You know, people like trying to uphold the spirit of the ship. So uh, the first several chapters are like bent describing the game, how it's played, how the ships tug the rocks, push them around, daring extravehicular activities in like hooking tethers to the rocks. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's very pushing it's very them, of course. on kind of, kind of sports. Yes. And, and it's thrilling the way it's told in the book, even though it takes months in, in, in real time. Yeah, that's true. But the author does a very good job of interlacing action scenes in which the crew is out and about uh, with planning scenes, which is the p- part that takes months, which is usually the crew sitting there poring over the, the logs and the tables and watching the trajectories and getting the new radar input and trying to refine their calculations and then seeing what the opposing team is doing and like trying to readjust their strategy to that. Because Before they even do anything. Oh, yeah. Just figuring out where to start like, because wh- wh- then, then wh- your pod committed. Where are we? Where are they? What are they probably going to do? It's like, oh, they started accelerating in, oh, this direction is like, that's kind of what we thought, but like not exactly. So what are they doing? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, cause okay, we're going to distract them with, uh, let's give a, let's give a drive plume away from the sun. And, and yeah. And, and then it's like, the oh, this is, it, it kind of puts them in, uh, at rendezvous with this, uh, with this particular stellar body. So maybe they're going to try to slingshot around that rather than, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, there's a lot of like tactical planning going on in uh, the, especially uh, since they have like a third contestant to deal with, which is the, the inhabitants of this, of this solar system that desperately do not want a game of Spaceball to succeed. Be played here, yes. So the like ragtag they... brand of brigands who are oh, trying to no, disrupt no, no, the game. No, nothing, really, nothing really ragtag about them. We're talking about the, the Agrupación de las Fuerzas Espaciales from Argentina 14. Yes. Uh, I mean, okay, a little bit ragtag. I mean, they're rough and tumble. They're sort of like the dirty dozen because going off against Spaceballers... Well, they're that's more a... like streakers, really. Trying to disrupt the game. It's like streaking in space is, of course, not a good plan, as you might realize, but... Uh... Isn't it? It's not so good for you. Think about no. Think about think about this. Okay, so uh, there's a few things that you don't want, which is like the inflation of your of your body. Yeah. When you're, I'm talking about the specific scenario where you have a helmet and then no spacesuit, but the but the helmet has a has a good seal. Yeah. All right. So is there a degree of oxygenation of your? I mean, you can do it directly in the blood. But you can also like. You don't need one atmosphere of pressure in your lungs. Oh, no. When you're exposed to space, that would just expand and that, yeah. would, that would cause a lot of damage. But you don't 
need that much in order to to have like atmospheric stability. I think Apollo Gemini era, I think the US spacecraft were only pressurized at about a half an atmosphere or something like that. In the Gemini era that was that was also all oxygen, wasn't it? Well, there was that. Yes. Yeah. They but kind of stopped doing that after Apollo 1. I wonder about this. So Covering your face yeah. with, a, with a good sealing uh, uh, mask yeah. and having it maintain uh, 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 atmospheric pressure that you can sustain. So I, do your, I do your ears as well, but yes, because uh, yeah, eardrums weak. Eardrums are weak, but so is the interior pressure. Like, would you be able to get by? Like, uh, what's what's the oxygen content of the atmosphere? It's like 20%, 20%, right? yeah. Okay, so let's say you've... I mean, we don't do anything with the rest. No. So you could do with 0.2 atmosphere if uh, uh, if it's all oxygen, and it would be kind of just the same. You would have the same exposure as I now. I think so, yes. Perhaps more, because it's everywhere. Uh, you'd have to like be careful with the partial pressure of oxygen, that you don't get oxygen narcosis. But So what, how does that work? It's actual pressure combined with okay. actual percentage. And it, it becomes a partial bit that's called partial pressure. That's why uh, ah, okay. pure oxygen at one atmosphere is not good, but pure oxygen at half an atmosphere is fine. See, that's what I'm thinking. But, so you could entirely like expose most of your body to space. Yes. Good, it's not going to swell or no, anything. Well, it might leave bruises, I suppose. You, you might turn into one because there's a, still a pressure. Your, your body's... It's, it's water. Mm. Your body is mostly water. Yeah, but it... Well, okay, so it wants expand. to evaporate all the water on your skin. It immediately starts to evaporate. Yeah, okay, because so, the boiling temperature is reduced. Yeah. You wouldn't wee-wee because there's negative pressure from uh, from outside. So there's, there's, no. nothing, there's nothing pressing down on you. And also, uh, uh, whatever differential there is between your interior and exterior pressure is uniform over your entire body. True. So there, there's nowhere that it's localized. No. I, I, I find it hard to imagine that you would even have like no. clubbing of the fingers or anything. The, the biggest problem would be getting the mask to seal properly because any the air pressure inside your mask would want to escape from underneath the seals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so let's assume like to... some adhesive. But, let's but, assume a yeah. technologically ideal solution. Yeah. Because I think the bigger problem is once you have like air in your lungs, you've done diving. Yes. Have you have you gone to depths where you, you need to up the pressure of your air supply? No. Well, the, the, the regulator in your mouth always makes sure that the, the air coming into your mouth is the same pressure as the water. So that's not, oh, a, pro- okay. that's not a problem. Um, because that would start at, it's like one atmosphere per 10 okay, meters? Okay, so, yes. Yeah. Okay, but so you, uh, you cannot use a snorkel at more than half a meter deep. Your chest muscles are not strong enough oh, wow. expanding against, uh, against the water pressure at that shallow a depth already. Right. The whole thing with a long reed underwater yeah, that yeah, only yeah. works if you're right under the surface. Like yeah, if you are yeah. more than 20, 30 centimeters, it becomes almost impossible to breathe in. If you yeah, have like a half meter tube, your you cannot breathe up against the water pressure well, at that yeah, point. Especially if it's a half meter tube and then your, your actual lungs yeah. are another like 40 well, centimeters below that. This would be the opposite problem because I don't, so I don't know how that works. You'd have to exhale against that same air pressure trying to. Yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, I guess you could like, I wonder if, like, if the if the mask so served as a, like an iron lung, well, and you did the pressure regulation for you. Yeah, and maybe. You just open your mouth because that would also solve the issue with your with your eardrums because the the, yeah. the pressure inside your uh, I don't know what it's called in English the the the, the middle ear the, yeah the, well, the inner, inner ear yeah, yeah. that's one. Um, would not be higher than what's inside your lungs as long as you keep your, your jaws yeah. wide open. It's what they recommend when there's about to be a big explosion or whatever, a, a lot of air pressure, that you cover your ears, make cups with your hands, cover your ears and open your mouth so that the, the pressure can enter your skull at the same time that it comes in from the outside. Yeah, cupping your ears breaks up the shockwave a little bit. Exactly. So we've had a long hypothetical discussion about jumping out into space naked, which Have does we? not actually occur in the book. There hasn't <laughs> been any editing yet, so maybe we didn't. <laughs>
<laughs> yes. So, um, yes, the Peking ducks who are on their ship, the Fumbling. The, the Fumbling. Yes. There is a bit of, okay, so. We've got to we've got to say this. Certainly in the in the era where this was written in the seventies, uh, Anglosphere sports have a bit of a history of cultural and racial insensitivity. I mean, we deal with this even with, with this mostly thing. North American mainly, but uh, yeah, I didn't want to single anybody out, but that that does. I mean, it's not like we you have the, the like the the Canterbury darkies, but you still have the, the 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 Redskins. And I know that there's arguments for or against, but I did see the wonderful headline that an official statement that was that there was there was no room for racial epithets at Redskin Stadium and the response to that was at the where? <laughs> at the Redskin. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that people like are fighting for their cultural... Uh my cultural heritage? Yeah, a little bit. But that yeah. doesn't mean that it's right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, like, it's not Peking, it's Beijing. Yeah. It's not Jakarta, it's Jakarta. Yeah. And then there's also Jogjakarta, which is like Jogjakarta. Wait, hold on. That one is Yog. Jogjakarta. I don't know how it's... Oh, dear. Apologies to our uh, Indonesian-speaking readers at home. Jog, Jogjakarta. My dad's actually from one of those two places. It just depends mm. on how drunk he is, what he, what he tells me. <laughs> Fair enough. So, yes, the game is afoot, as they say. Yeah. Uh, or mostly the game is a space, because there's not yeah. much of footing about. Not a great slogan, but it's, yes, the game is space, and I mean we see it mostly through the through the eyes of uh, Lucky Star, uh, who is very excited during this early strategic phase where everybody's trying yeah, to. She she goes in with a negative response. I mean she she can very much understand the Fuertes Especiales, and she's kind of almost Espacia. Oh, espacia. Yeah. Oh, I only, yeah. now, I only now got it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, and uh, she comes with a little bit of a poo-poo attitude to this, like, wasteful sport and dangerous. Because it does devastate a lot of solar systems. Yeah, like, if things go wrong, which they frequently do. Yeah, because it's such a widely played game. I mean, there is this this sort of fatalistic cycle of, okay, so these these players, they have to go in long, long stretches of cryosleep. As we mentioned, this mm-hmm. particular round or this particular uh, uh, contest has been going for about 75 years, and it's not unusual for, for, for them the last 200 years. Yeah. During which time you'd expect the uh, the grounders, as the spacers call the the people who are who are planet bound, yes. uh, uh, to technologically advance, but. I mean, they don't really get a chance to because far too often these these colonized solar systems are just obliterated by highly radioactive uranium asteroid fragments, which and, just come crashing down, and and they barely subsist. So that when the, when the spacers come back around again, they haven't been able to uh, advance their yeah. technology. Uh, it's played for the benefit of the idle rich, I suppose, back home who like to enjoy watching Isn't these things. And like every few months, a goal is scored if you're lucky. Well, especially in the latter stages of the game when it starts. But nobody really watches. It's what you said before. Nobody really watches for the goals because the goal is to see a a large uh, heavenly body slowly come to rest and and linger at the G spot and congeal with whatever yes. else was uh, uh, was there. Although it does get quite spectacular in later stage, uh, uh, the latter stage of a match when it's, it becomes less pool and more jeu de boule. And, yes, exactly. Uh, there's like trying to knock each other's rocks out of orbit and to cunningly like slow down your own rocks by by sending them career leaning toward the G-spot and then crashing into a moon and then shattering the moon and that slows it down and of course it sucks for anybody who's colonized that yes. moon but I mean there were some very spectacular shots which basically grazed it just off the surface of a moon resend it off an, on a different course slow it down and just like and bring that was it back the in. end of uh, uh, Buenos Aires Nuevos yes there seems to be a 
bit of bad mojo on naming places Buenos, yeah. uh, Buenos Aires. To be honest, I thought it was a bit of a stupid idea anyway to name a, a bit of space rock with no atmosphere Buenos Aires. But, but it's, uh, it's, it's optimistic. <laughs> it's it's an aspirational name. I guess that's very appropriate ah, in this case. Aspirational, yeah. yes. <laughs> she gets a lucky star, gets to know a lot of the crew. I mean, it's not just Captain Jack Tit, who is not a particularly interesting. I mean, he's the he's also the G whiz of the uh, uh, mm-hmm. of the team. He does all of the uh, the calculations, but um, she's much more uh, interested in the the parsec back, which is a, a, a much cooler, like outgoing, aggressive player. Who in this case is Andieu Leveau, named for uh, a, a famed French pirate. The the, the name means God wants it, Andieu Leveau. Oh. I mean, she's a right goer. She's a. I mean, they all are on the on the Jolly Reggie. All the all the. Well, they're a family, really. That's like that's how it goes. I mean, they've eh? been together technically for centuries. Yes, a lot of it's spent in deep sleep, and occasionally new people move yes, in. Yes, they spend and- a lot of time in the cryogenous zone. <laughs> I mean, even in between uh, uh, scoring. I'm going to enjoy the cryogenous cryo- 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 a little bit longer. <laughs> the game is a space. The game is a space. The the, the rocks are shaking and they're moving. Yeah. And during one uh, early on episode in which the fumbling and the um, Jolly Reggie are apparently both moving towards the same rock. Yeah. It's, uh, our reporter discovers that uh, the uh, fumbling is in the possession of an illegal neutron cannon. Oh no! Used to. I mean, these 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 rocks are like highly concentrated uranium. Uh, thing. Yeah. And so, like, they use their illegal neutron cannon to fire at the rock and basically just to, to, to start up a local nuclear reaction, which causes it to break up. And they are clearly trying to score a double here by cracking this st- cracking this piece of space debris and getting a. Uh, Two points out of the same. Uh, oh no, that's right. Yeah, and I thought that this was a uh, this was a real sort of black mark against the the Peking Ducks because it's, I mean, it is a, a technical foul. Well, but... only doing it themselves. I mean, if a rock breaks up and it becomes a sufficiently large piece, it still counts. That's just space mechanics for you. But causing it to break up by by using an illegal neutron cannon yeah. is obviously a no no. I mean, if it just cracks because of a collision, then you know that's like part of the game. And part of the game is also. If you can eliminate all the witnesses on the on the opposing team and in the in the in the solar system, if there's nobody to file a complaint, then you know no complaint gets no filed, foul. and yeah, no yeah. no complaint, no foul. So uh, uh, this is where uh, the, the the parsec back and Dieu Laveau kind of grabs um, uh, our hero Lucky Star in order to get her to safety because she is kind of their secret weapon in this regard because she can she can report objectively. On what has happened, yes. seen it very, uh, very firsthand versus the which is what, which is why the crew of the Jolly Reggie is like rather mistrustful of her at the first place because yeah, going, absolutely. like, oh, we're going to have to play it completely straight this time because like this nosy reporter is going to see everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she has a, a lot of aggressive run-ins with uh, uh, Sadie the Goat. Uh, so named for her propensity for headbutting people, uh, and she and she found herself also drawn into. Uh, I mean, Anne Bonny, mm-hmm. uh, um, who's who's one of the, the 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 more defensive players, along with her husband-ish Calico Jack and girlfriend slash boyfriend Mark or Mary Reed, and these are based on 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 mm-hmm. real real historical pirates. pirates. Yes, do you think yeah. that was in, like intentional that See, the players issued these names? Yes, that's what I was I was thinking. Like either you talked previously about the the the, the conservation efforts by uh, uh, some of the. Uh, animal named uh, uh, players to sponsor uh, conservation efforts for their, like in the case of Captain Jack Tit was uh, a sparrow and Calico Jack.
Jack was uh, was for cats and uh, Sadie the Goat. I mean, that one kind of speaks for speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. But if they had the ability to like gene splice and reintroduce these animals as, as part of their sponsorship, wouldn't they be able to generate new players? Based on genetically reconstructing historical figures in order to fit the theme. Mm. I mean, because it's a, it's a spectator sport. Yes. So absolutely. you can manage to actually, uh, resurrect. I mean, uh, their star player, uh, uh, was kind of a giveaway back from the dead red. She was so named historically. No, that was, there was a real pirate. No, no, back, and she yeah. was named back from the dead red because she, she faked her death a few times for yeah. tax reasons. Uh, and then once shit died down, then she was back again. She was back from the dead red. Doing a little bit of research on this, like, not, that's an amazing amount of female pirates. Like, you never hear about that. Yeah, you had Changshir and Sayyid al Hura. Or Changshir, she started out as a, as a, as a. No way! Yes, of course, Changshir, she played for the Peking Ducks! Yes, she does! That's right! That's right! That was in the book that we both read. I fucking five! Oh, this is really clumsy around the microphone. <laughs> I can't believe that we both had the same notes. So Fancy yeah. that. <laughs> so tell us about tell us about Chengxi. Oh, she's the captain of the Fumbling, and uh... <laughs> this is so good. Twenty six episodes, twenty seven. I don't know. I don't even know where we are. And we actually not only do we agree on something, but we imagine the same thing. Wow. So yes, uh, she's like the one who's like doing the whole illegal neutron cannon uh, move. And they're kind of like, okay, so this is not good, but are we going to make a fuss out of it? I mean, we can use this. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's I mean, like it's like we can like play this game because they had plans for that rock as well. And well, they just didn't involve illegal technology. No, they, but they had their own. They had their own slingshot plan to uh, loop it around the True. moons and then yeah. like uh, skimp it off the uh, like slow it down by cutting a big swath through the uh, environmental area of the, this particular solar system's uh, ringed, yeah. uh, ringed planet. So Captain Reggie, sorry, Captain Tit has a... Captain uh, Jack Tit. Captain Jack Tit, right. Yeah. They have these full names, and they, and they do like the names to be fair enough. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Although uh, although I like that Cheng Shi like to be called the lady. Don't you forget it either. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, you're in trouble. If, um, I fire my neutron cannon at you again. And- I mean, the, the, the book has a whole, like, second layer, in, especially when it when it comes into the whole the match fixing part of it, there's people on the planets trying to uh, like make good money, betting on uh, on, betting on, on the various survival teams. Of your planets first well, of all, that too. Yes, also. I mean the futures market can really get disrupted by a misplaced bit of space rock crashing into a uh, uh, yeah. That'll, that'll uh, into facility, yes. Like usually, when they know that when when the schedule is announced for the for the next uh, decades games, the relief ships start getting launched <laughs> to help evacuate more few survivors. Yeah, or like bring food school. because the bread basket of this particular solar system got wiped out by yeah. another nuclear rock. To the degree where where sometimes it is advantageous for for people to bet against their 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 hometown. Like there's also, I mean. There, there has to be a reason why this game is still being played despite being so destructive and so massively unpopular. And that's partly because if it's a really good way to wage intergalactic warfare without having to send your own. Like it turns out that this match in, in Argentina 14 uh, is sponsored by space whales. Mm hmm. Um, uh, not not whales as in the the, the space no, no. creatures, but whales as in the space yes. nation of, of of whales. The continuation of the Welsh Argentina Cold War. Cold, it's like it's remarkable how that keeps popping up in the books we're reading. Right? It's it's, <laughs> it's, it's obviously it was a, it was had a huge historic impact. Like, Can you imagine a lot of bad? There's a lot of bad blood there. There is a lot of Argentina bad blood. Yeah. yeah. So the the rock gets 
broken up by uh, the Fumbling's uh, illegal neutron cannon. And Captain Jack Tit, I shall say, now yeah, decides, like, okay, we're going to play this two ways. They plant a they plant a bomb on half the rock and pretend that they oh, they ignore yeah. uh, they ignore the plan that the Peking ducks have with this uh, rock, and they instead focus on the other one. Clever, because what he's been doing, and I think it's a brilliant stroke of uh, planning in his case. Yeah, I loved it. This is the best case of moving the goalposts that you have ever seen. <laughs> yes. Because what he does is he uses this second place of rock with the bomb plants on it to completely obliterate a uh, well. It's it's, a, it's like a Mars-sized planet, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like shoot it out in orbit, and thereby. Move the G spot exactly, and it's like exactly. and it's, it's so it, clever. It's like, like just blasting like, this planetoid out of the solar system changes the gravitational like, mechanics, and suddenly, like the 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 the, the fumblings, or rocks are all on the wrong course, and it's 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 a sweep out of the solar system. Basically, and all of these mistakes that he's been he's been seemingly making in the beginning. I mean, he was he was being criticized for being a very poor G whiz, ah, uh, absolutely. For sending the rocks in the in the wrong direction, and they'll never hit the the G spot, and then he moved the G spot, but, which, and is, it's, which is the real trick, really. Yes, well, you know, it's like make if it's not where you are, it's like if it's not where it's supposed to be, then like as it comes, if you can't do it the way it has to be done, then you have to do it the way it can be done. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant, and uh, even though it, it involved the destruction of a planetoid, at least Argentina Catorce was okay. And yes, minor lost damage, a little Buenos bit, Aires Nuevos, a little bit of radioactive fallout and stuff like that. But uh, at least the system can continue. Much to the uh, disappointment, I'm sure, of the the sponsor Space Whales when they well, when they yeah, find they out about it. In yeah, a few it's decades. like oh god, we won, but we went to yeah, literal exactly. literal wipeout, not a like brilliantly executed game plan. Where having this match, this immortal game, take place in their in their system is actually kind of a I mean, it, it benefits Argentina Cator, so it makes them into a bit of a tourist destination. Yeah, it's like hosting the Olympic Games. It's like you're, oh, yeah. you have I mean, to like pay billions things. and like, you know, the odds of breaking even are small. But like, you know, if you, if you do, then it's a good, then it's a good well, thing. It's, yeah. it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool resolution where we have, uh, uh, uh Governor Landland from, uh, from Argentina Cator, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> inviting the, uh, uh, the pirates of the, of the Jolly Reggie, except for Newton, Newton, the, uh, sadistic well, AI. Yeah, he kind of like, like, you know, has to stay on board the ship. Yes, Plus, you're like, you can't be, tr- be welcome anyway. You can't be trusted not to poison. Yeah, yeah exactly. The main course. So just leave it. Like he's handy to have around when he's fighting on your side, but uh, uh, not so much when you're. He's a good. He's, he's a brilliant computer, but you know, not very personable. And I think this is one of the very rare occasions in the in the entire sport of spaceball where the the prizes are actually awarded by the joyous inhabitant of the solar system where, yes. where the game had taken place, rather than like you know. Posted out on the way over while they're already back on the way to the next. Uh, yeah, while they're while they're all locked in their cryogenous yep. zones uh, aboard the ship. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah. believe that that's the one that got such a lukewarm reception. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's <laughs> taken a while to sink in, in in all of its brilliance. Okay, then damning with faint praise. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I thought it was, it was a good book. And then I and enjoyed then, it. And then uh, and, and and lucky star. Um, getting her well, not exactly the expose that she was hoping for, because like she doesn't get the exposition of the uh, evil plan by space whales because it failed. I guess it's more about like the rapport that she uh, develops with the crew of the Jolly Reggie and how they accept yeah, her as a her uh, friends, Angela Laverne, Sadie yeah. the Goat, and, and Mark or Mary Reed and Calico Jack, and all the, of them. Yeah, and 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 Anne Bonnie, and and she stays on even though she doesn't technically need to. She no, but she becomes like her. her embedded position. She enjoys it, and she, the the powers that be decide it's not not exactly make it into a reality TV show, but it, they they like the little slice of life that they see yeah, in the. Press 
prescient on the part of Paul French. Maybe he was ahead of his time. You'd almost say that it was Asimov-esque of him how, uh, how to get a good yeah, look at the right? future. <laughs> Isaac Asimov, obviously a, 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 a grand luminary now. I don't think that he'd ever do something so so vulgar as sport in science fiction, no. but uh, uh, I think space Paul ball. French is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Spaceball sounds more like a movie that Mel Blanks would make. Mel, Mel Blank? No, Mel Brooks. Mel sorry. Blank. No, the other one. I'm just going to imagine what Mel Blanks Spaceball <laughs> would look like. And I think on that note... <laughs> What did we? What did? We, how will we review this book? Okay, I think we should rate this book on the Torino scale. Okay, now for the readers at home, this is something entirely new. I can see uh, Kay consulting his notes. This is something very new, and I'm, I'm honestly excited to see where well, this is going. Because well, we all the, know the Torino scale. The Torino scale it doesn't need to be explained. Does okay, it? We well, no, in that case, I would give it a seven. No, 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 no. <laughs> please do explain it. I was being cheeky. <laughs> well, okay, so the Torino scale is a, a ranking system used to rate the. Uh, danger of asteroids. And it's basically oh. a, a a function of their kinetic energy and their probability of impact, div- divided up into 10 categories, whereas one being least concerned, it's just like, yeah, we just spotted this and it's moving around. Whereas yeah. 10 is it's big and it's coming right at us. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be big. Well, like, it can yeah. be small and yeah. fast. Yes, but no. Or big like, and slow. Yeah, it's, hence it's, kinetic it's energy. But like mass, roughly speaking... speed, and probability of impact. That's yes. really elegant way. To so do, would we consider this on the Torino scale to be a, this book to be a hit? I would say it's a good one. Yeah, I, I would give it at least an eight. An eight? It's big. It's up there. I, never got that. I learned this from uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, the word disaster, mm-hmm. disaster, bad star. Uh-huh. Is a reference to like comets being a, yes. a, oh, being uh, a harbinger yeah. of doom, of evil. Yeah, officer, yeah, because yes. they're bad stars. They're disasters. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Well, so that yes, would have been a cool reference to use in this uh, in this game. But unfortunately, Paul French didn't, didn't didn't come up with it. No. So we have a we have an eight on the uh, uh, Torino scale on the Torino scale. It's been a rather good review. And speaking of reviews, if you'd uh, care to let somebody know about how much you've been enjoying this program, if you've been enjoying it, and we certainly hope you do, uh, then please tell a friend and. Especially if that friend is uh, iTunes or whatever it's called now, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, that would be entirely welcome. So what do we have in store for our readers next week? Ah, yes. Next week's book is by David Benatar. It's his um, very introspective work, Better Never to Have Been, The Harm of Coming into Existence. Whoa, that's deep. Uh, thank you for <laughs> joining us at Cover My Ass, where baffling books are reviewed but not read by yours truly. My name is Kaki. And I'm Kay. And remember, we, we only judge, judge a book by its cover. Can you imagine us both on a yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> 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 That's a <surprise. laughs>